Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you'll be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. If you've been inspired by the guests that we've had on the podcast, please like, subscribe, comment, hit notification bells, whatever you can do on the platforms that you're listening on, so that more people have the opportunity of hearing these and engaging in our community. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne. Our guest today is Ben John, now or Benjamin John, however people may know you by, but for people that don't know who you are, could you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do? Great, uh, thank you so much Andrew and Daphne for um, having me on. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm Ben John, um, uh, based in, in, in London. I work for an organisation called Christian Concern, which seeks to speak of the name of Jesus Christ in in public life and in particular I work on our uh, Wilberforce Academy which is our work equipping and supporting students and young professionals to engage on some of the key cultural issues facing Christians in the West uh, today. I'm also involved in uh, the Church of England General Synod which is the governing body of the Church of England so I'm an elected lay member for the Diocese of St Albans, I can explain what that means uh, later. Um, and that means that I can have a voice and a vote on matters of legislation and doctrine in the Church of England. Okay, and for people listening to this, they want to find out more about you or Christian Concern, where can they do that? Yeah, well, you can find out more about uh, Christian Concern at christianconcern.com and Wilberforce Academy at wilberforceacademy.org.uk. The the Wilberforce Academy is a one-week residential program for yeah, students and young professionals. Um, so if people know um, young people who are interested in, in understanding more about issues like LGBT, abortion, Islam, and how we as Christians can have um, a positive voice into those issues, then the Wilberforce Academy is certainly the right program for them. So our applications, um, uh, you can find out about how to apply for that on the Wilberforce Academy website. That, that will be a very useful um, thing to highlight in the light of our mission which is to equip them for such a time as this literally yeah. so maybe we can go into that more yeah and and some of the things that we'll talk about in this conversation as well um, will be a really useful tool for people going oh wow okay so how can we actually respond to some of these issues yeah. um, that we'll dive into but before we get into some of those subjects um, and, and for people listening, those links, I'll get them. They'll be in the description box. So they're there ready for you to go and find. Uh, check those out. Uh, ben, for people that don't know about you, your background, where you grew up, can you just give us some of that? Yes, yeah, so I grew up in, in Trolleywood and I'm, I'm still uh, connected to the church there uh, uh, where, I, where I grew up. My um, Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. My father was an evangelist. Um, and so I've always been involved in in, in, in church work um, or seeing it growing up. Um, but for the last five years, I, I went to university and studied economics. Um, after I graduated from that, I very, very briefly worked in, in management consulting, but I left that when the opportunity came to join Christian Concern. So I actually attended the Wilberforce Academy myself when I was a student, and it had a really big impact on me in really sort of re reorienting the, the trajectory of my life really and and thinking about what's important um what are the issues that christians need to have, be having a voice in today and how can we as christians yeah be engaging in the culture um on those kinds of issues um yeah so yeah grew up in Trollywood in a christian home very involved in church there um still involved in church there and um uh it was after university that i got connected to christian concern and Wilberforce academy Mm. Uh, growing up did you did you have other dreams of things that you would like to do um or did you always think uh you know what i've seen i've seen how ministry was for my parents and, and i want to be a part of that uh no actually uh, no definitely not growing up i growing up i wanted to i initially actually wanted to be a filmmaker um so i was quite interested in i went to a summer school in filmmaking when i was 16 um and 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 i used to love films growing up uh so i initially 
thought that and I did acting and stuff in school plays and when I was younger as well so I initially I thought that was going to be um uh what I what I did and then when I was kind of 17 18 I kind of lost that passion a bit and went and did economics because I wasn't really sure what to do I was quite good at maths um and uh thought that was quite a good way to use that so went and did an economics degree and if you do an economics degree generally you're expected to go into finance or banking or consulting or something like that so I um sort of followed the crowd in doing that didn't particularly enjoy it um and so I was thankful then I, I think when I would have been on the Wilberforce Academy myself I think I kind of realized and saw there was a bit of a gap in the way the church was speaking or contending on issues like LGBT and abortion. Um, and so I, there was a big shift in my life and thinking, which came to, you know, what, what am I most passionate about? And I mean, ultimately most passionate about Jesus, but also realizing that through these issues, there's opportunities for us to talk about Jesus because there are ways in which we as the church are distinct from the culture. So why don't we highlight those distinctions rather than shy away from them and use them as an opportunity for us to preach the gospel. So have you had a fairly consistent life of following Jesus? I mean, I realise that through teenage years and everything, everybody have their dips and that's not like I'm always 100%. But you haven't had a moment where you said, no, this isn't for me. Uh, no, I, I mean, I had long periods of living a double life where I probably wasn't submitting to Christ. Well, I, know I definitely wasn't submitting to Christ as Lord uh, over all my life. And um, it was whilst I was kind of at university when I was realizing that either Christ means everything or nothing. Um, I don't think I ever really doubted faith or doubted God or Christ or the resurrection. So I never really had those apologetic type questions um it was really more a case of am i willing to um um let go of my own idols in my heart my own sin and pursue christ wholeheartedly rather than kind of this lukewarmness that there probably was so uh yeah so i've always been in church i've never been uh yeah, I've, I've never been a full-on prodigal, uh, but um, certainly there would be question marks. That, you know, depends what day you catch me on when I would answer when I became a Christian. Certainly my sanctification didn't uh, uh, really begin until I was at university. Uh, your, your testimony may be something, be presumptuous like mine, but when people ask me when I became a Christian, I just get always... It rocks people's theology a bit, but if you've grown up in a, a family where uh, your parents are passionately sold out for Jesus, I I think you enter the kingdom as a natural course, as opposed to having to have this major um, moment when everything changes. Because when you've grown up in a Christian family, in one sense, nothing changes. You've always been to church, you've always loved Jesus, you've always prayed and the rest of it. And so um, I suspect you're... Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I agree, you know, the, the promises to our children and our children's children to, to the thousandth generation. So, yeah. um, I, you know, I'd agree with you. Uh, um, I'd agree with you there that, yeah, I don't, I never want to place too much emphasis on people mm. needing to have a conversion experience, but, um, you know, so... Um, the blessing of a boring testimony of course no testimony is boring but uh um, we yeah we we call it the testimony of david oh lord from my youth i have known you yes uh, and we we actually we mustn't go down this route because this isn't yeah this is here. a whole other direction but we, in one of our conferences we do one on the hidden testimony and um sadly because that testimony is hidden it's not exposed it's not on the platform we meet many um, young people who doubt their salvation because they can't remember that moment and yeah. who even say I've thought of falling away from God to get a testimony. So that that's a whole other you, you you've hit on one of our um yeah. topics. Messages. Yeah. But let, let's get back to Ben before we go <laughs> trundling down the river. Well, this that is we about created. Ben. It's his testimony. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what what path 
you, you went to the Wilberforce Academy. Um, okay, we know the name Wilberforce. Um, we know the name Academy. Can you put all that together? Why the Wilberforce Academy? Yeah, and you say we know about Wilberforce. I think that um, in England, a lot more people know the yeah, name Wilberforce. More people yeah. should know, but like when we travel in the US uh, and we talk about the abolition of slavery and all that kind of stuff, and sometimes we'll say to people, do you know who William Wilberforce is? And they, they have no idea. And uh, so actually there are quite a lot of people that listening that may not actually know who William Wilberforce is. You might want to just summarise who that is as well. Yeah, so, um, well, William Wilberforce was a, was a British parliamentarian who led the parliamentary campaign, the abolition of the slave trade um, across the British Empire. So he was um, pivotal in that, and of course many others were involved in the campaign on different fronts, uh, but he was the he was the figurehead and, and the, the pioneer in the parliamentary campaign. And probably without his work, um, the abolition of the slave trade would have been pushed would have been pushed back uh, decades, if not more. Um, uh, so he was yeah, a gifted orator, um, campaigner, and also evangelical Christian. And so he he wrote a lot about how his faith was what was driving him to do what he did. Um, he wrote a book on um, practical Christianity. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, here's a particular personal hero of mine. There's many great biographies uh, written about him. So I encourage anyone to, uh, to check those out, Pollock or um, William Hague. Um, so uh, yeah, William Wilberforce, parliamentary campaigner for the abolition of the slave trade. Um, he, uh, as I mentioned, he he viewed his faith as the driving factor for it. And so we call our Wilberforce Academy, Wilberforce Academy, because of our view that it's our faith that drives us to contend on modern issues of injustice or um, cultural uh, challenges. And so when we speak about LGBT, when we speak about abortion, which may be the most obvious one, we we're, we're wanting to do it out of a place of wanting to glorify God and proclaim the lordship of Christ over all of society. It's not about being socially conservative. It's not about um, being anti-woke, whatever those that means. It's about honouring Christ in all that we do. And that includes not just in our personal lives and in our hearts, but in society as well. So we believe that we're as kingdom ambassadors, you know, ambassadors of reconciliation, Paul calls us. Um, yes, we do evangelism, but evangelism to what end? The glory of God, and how do you do that? By submitting all things unto him. So the Wilberforce Academy is really about encouraging young people to see all that they do as service to the Lord. And that's not just legal campaigning, and it, it's not really just about those issues, LGBT, abortion, euthanasia. It's also about just everyday life where Christians are, I think, whether that's medics, politics, law, arts, education, um, business, whatever it might be, you can do it as service to the Lord, honouring to him and glorifying him. So really our Wilberforce Academy is, yeah, think about Christian culture engagement and what that looks like. And also what does it mean to live out the Lordship of Christ where God has placed you? Of course. If you did the, uh, I don't know how long the academy's been going. How long? When does it started? It started in 2010. Okay. So we do events during the year, but the main event is our residential in September. So this year we've got a one-week residential program so, uh, where it's teaching and sorry. No, it's all right. Go on. So mixture of teaching, devotionals, small group time, um, sung worship, um, fellowship. Um, so it's a really great time. So we get about 80 that come. And really one of the, I think one of the real blessings of it is um, the fellowship and the community that's formed. So many people meet very close friends. So I mean, I was, I was an usher at a wedding uh, just a few months ago at someone that I attended the Wilberforce Academy with back in 2016. Um, so some of my best friends are the people I can say that I met on the Wilberforce Academy. Um, it's also really diverse without really any kind of, attempts at trying to be diverse 
Uh, it's really a group of Christians from across denominations, across different backgrounds, but united in a love for Jesus um, and a passion to see him proclaimed across society. So we, I think that's a real unique strength of the Wilberforce Academy. Um, and another one would be just the amazing teaching that there is. So it's a mixture of the how and why of Christian culture engagement. Should we engage the culture? What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that look like in your sphere? But also what does it look like on the key challenges facing Christians in the UK and the West today? Uh, looking at it from both the kind of macro and micro. So how do I witness to my homosexual friends on my course, but also uh, why is the conversion therapy legislation a danger to us? And I think many don't know how to, we maybe think about one, but not the other. And so it's really about trying to give this uh, overview for young people in their witnessing who are kind of in one sense in the front lines of being bombarded with the ideologies of the world, particularly at university or, you know, recent graduate jobs and things like that. So really equipping and supporting them. Of course, yeah. to, to, uh, 2010 to 2023, what you are confronting these young people with has changed dramatically. What you're asking of them is changed dramatically and what you're... Um, Asking them in terms of take up their cross and follow me has changed dramatically. Do you see a generation rising who are saying, yeah, we're ready for this challenge. Just equip us and, and we're, we're good to go. Yeah, no, I think so. I, I think in particular the community aspect is what particularly encourages that because I think many young people today, it's quite lonely maybe being an Orthodox Christian um, engaging on some of these issues and, and quite scared to, you know, and, you know, of course, there's many, many good churches that are doing a lot of good uh, teaching on some of these issues. Um, I think sometimes we, we, the church at times has failed to understand maybe some of the more macro challenges facing Christians today. So it's come quite late for the churches to have a voice on, say, the conversion therapy legislation. And so, um, I think supporting Christians in understanding these are the challenges, these are the costs, but Christ is worth it. Um, so each year it's always such an encouragement to me seeing this large group of young people who are passionate, sold out for Christ, who um, don't care about losing everything for him uh, because they know that, yeah, it's worth it to live as Christ to die as king. Yeah. You went there obviously when Wilberforce um what was it called what was it called academy. institute academy. academy my goodness thought you were going uh, to say he wasn't there when well, Wilberforce was there alive. which i mean that would be a miracle yeah. but um you said it started in 2010 um now you weren't there when it started but for people uh in other countries uh you know they may still see england as a christian nation um maybe in america they don't quite know what's going on in terms of society and, and our culture at the minute can you maybe just talk about where is England now in terms of Christianity? What is it, the culture, the society at large? Um, it, what is it like right now? Uh, it's a really good question. Um, so I would, I would, I, I mean, I do, I change my mind a lot on how optimistic, pessimistic I am on how I evaluate the current state of the nation. I I think at the moment we're living off the last remnants of our Christian heritage, but that Christian heritage is still there in our, in various aspects of our law and government. Um, the fact that we still have an established church. And so there there's, we're still living off that legacy. I think in the past, it probably would be fair to say it was, I do believe England was a Christian, I, I believe in the concept of a Christian nation, um, that every Christian nation would be imperfect. Um, and I think we're, we're, what we're seeing now is we, the last few things we're holding on to from our Christian legacy, but we're, we've tried to build a society without that root, that Christian uh, foundation, and now we're seeing the bad fruit of that in our society. So 
when we've moved away from the Bible when it comes to, say, sexual ethics. That's what happens over over two or three generations. That's led us to where we are now, where we have widespread divorce, cohabitation, homosexuality, transgenderism. And so we're we're seeing we're seeing what happens in a kind of post-Christian nation. You know, I'm I, but at the same time I'm still optimistic for the future that the gospel is powerful, the gospel's still growing, people are still coming to Christ. Um, but our cultural Christianity is has has nearly gone. Um, amongst the elderly, you you'd still have a degree of nominal Christianity, and of course, nominal Christianity is not a isn't conversion and you want people to have new hearts but at the same time in terms of general living um cultural christianity is probably preferable to cultural paganism um in many senses and so as a as a society as we embrace apostasy as as we embrace pagan you know false worship we're seeing the fruits of that and it's and it's devastating our culture yeah, I heard, um, I think it was a clip actually of, of Mike Pilavachi talking to your dad on uh, on his show, mm. uh, Facing the Canon, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, for people that don't know, Mike Pilavachi has headed up massive um, festivals in the UK with tens of thousands of young people that come together every year. They um, Anyway... Uh, your dad asked him, you know, what do you see in this next generation? And Mike said something to the effect of, uh, when I was young, I would read the Bible to see how it could change me. Um, In this next generation, he sees a lot of them reading the Bible to see how they can change it. Um, Which was like, wow, like that's a a powerful statement that, that you've put out there. Um, and I don't think you see in, I, I want we'll talk more specifically about the church, uh, in a bit. Um, when you start to see the society and the culture shifting, um, from that sort of traditionally held Christian views, um, what are some of the consequences of that? What are we starting to see happen in England? Um, even around issues of freedom of speech, um, I think you know we people can get caught up on what specific sins is it the church is talking about and, and addressing those, but you can drop in any sin which is from a, a traditional Christian perspective. Um, you can drop any of those in. You have similar kinds of conversations that come out of it. But um, what are we starting to see happen in England um, as a result of us moving away from these sort of Christian foundations? Yeah, I guess it's twofold. There's in society and in the church. And I guess in society, we're increasingly seeing more restrictions on freedom of speech. Um, we're seeing increased um, or reduced rights for Christians and for parents as well. So I know you, you do a lot of work on generations. Generations, we've been supporting a mother, Izzy Montague, has um, been in the press recently, who um was refused by her school to take her four-year-old out of a gay pride march in her primary school, in the primary school, her child. And there, the school had said, you're not allowed to take them out. So it would have been an unauthorized absence. So we've been challenging that. And in fact, when she met with the head uh, headmistress to talk about it, the headmistress's daughter, who was also at the school, um, wore, came to the meeting and wore, wore a jumper or a T-shirt saying, why be homophobic, transphobic, and bigoted if you can, when you can just be quiet? Um, so we're increasingly seeing hostility to parents there in our education system. Um, many, many organisations are promoting LGBT issues at younger and younger ages. Um, we're, we're seeing freedom of speech issues where people are getting arrested for or, or losing their jobs for articulating orthodox Christian positions on matters where we're, we're, we're um, I mean, it should have come out by now, so I don't know when it will come out, and hopefully it's, uh, I don't know if it'll come out by the time this podcast is released, but Bernard Randall was a chaplain at a Christian evangelical ethos private school, and he was sacked for saying it's okay if you disagree on LGBT matters. Uh, it's okay if you 
hold to an orthodox position. He was sacked from an evangelical ethos school and he was a chaplain. And he was actually reported, initially he was reported to prevent, which is the government's anti-extremism task force. So that's just a, an example of some of the um, challenges that we're facing. We're facing there. Street preachers regularly are being arrested by police sometimes for being offensive sometimes. Uh, we have There's an excellent track record on us on defending street preachers and holding back the law on that where there's attempts to try and um, yeah shut down the gospel when it comes to public proclamation um in the church i think what we're seeing and so just a few weeks ago i was at general synod and at general synod they've voted to basically we voted to pr- proceed on there's lots of nuances on the way that they um worded the motion but basically to proceed on publishing blessings for same-sex marriages and relationships and it's likely going to be that come july um it will be there'll be some form of new pastoral guidance which will probably say um likely say i mean it's speculative at the moment but i think it's likely to say that clergy who can enter into same-sex civil marriages and civil partnerships and they don't need to abstain from sodomy. So that's that's probably going to be the pastoral guidance that gets published before July. So in, in July, which will be the next meeting of the General Synod, we'll be de- discussing and debating that. And so with, what we'll see is I think that's going to have serious cultural consequences when the established church, and you know, people can debate the, the wisdom in having an established church, but there's a, rea- there's a reality here in England that we have an established church and having an established church that ceases to teach the apostolic gospel it will have spiritual consequences for the nation and other churches as well. You know, how much harder it will be to hold to an orthodox position when even the national established church doesn't. Um, and so I think that's going to have that's going to cause serious problems for us uh, down the line. I think it will hinder our evangelism because the spirit won't be there. Um, Ichabod, you know, the glory will depart. God's hand won't be on the Church of England. And I think that'll be one of the the last few. I often thought the official end of Christendom would probably be when the Queen dies and the Church of England endorses gay marriage. And it looks like those have happened because those are happening very, very soon. Um, The Church of England won't officially change the doctrine of marriage. Well, they won't attempt to try and change the doctrine of marriage for a few years. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic that we can block that um, so one of the reasons I'm on Synod is really to try and block uh, the liberalising of homos- of the theological positions on homosexuality. Sadly, what the bishops are doing by forcing through these prayers. So yes, there was a vote, but the vote didn't really have any. The vote wasn't to say wasn't really to approve the prayers. It was just simply to acknowledge the bishops' decisions. So I, and it was quite a close vote. Um, the bishops are forcing these prayers through, um, I believe, illegally, um, according to church law, because they're saying these prayers of blessing for same-sex relationships does not indicate a change in the doctrine of marriage. If it did indicate a change, they'd have to go through a different route. Um, And, of course, anyone with eyes can see that this is a change of doctrine or certainly indicative of a change of doctrine, which is the official legal definition, is if it's indicative of a change of the doctrine, then it has to go through a different process. I'm not surprised, but um, the general message that's often given, this is this is something that's happening in the emerging generation, the, the, the whole woke culture, etc., etc. But when you're talking bishops... Uh, and these clergy, my impression are this is not the emerging generation. This is the generations that have come before them. Um, and that there are older people, I won't call them old people, but older people. So are you seeing an embracing by all generations of what's happening, particularly in the, in the Church of England? I think in general there is a... This would be embraced generally or widely amongst younger people. Um, 
if you look at the so recently um christian concerns some uh, one of our sort of research teams did some analysis of the churches in the church of england with the largest youth groups and all of them were evangelical um you know, and there might be other reasons why we might say that, but there weren't, there wasn't, there isn't any evidence of churches going liberal and then growing. So churches with a lot of young people are generally evangelical, and generally they might be churches with a focus on on youth work um, for various reasons. And I'm sure we could we could spend hours um, discussing the pros and cons of that. Um, uh, so I don't think. Uh, I think it's a lie to say young people in general are embracing this. And also at, at Synod, so I'm one of the younger members of Synod, uh, myself and a few other younger members of Synod were all there, um, spoke during the debate against the proposals, sort of highlighting that actually um, it, it, this isn't universal amongst young people. You don't need to change the doctrine of marriage to reach young people. Um, I think with the older generation, I think generally older generations are just a bit more traditional, maybe for the wrong reasons. So they might just be traditional. They might just think, you know, I know someone who just thinks homosexuality is a bit un-British. Um, it's a bit more than that. We, I think with, with the bishops, I think they, I think they have let particular voices in to their surroundings and that they've allowed that to change their theology. They've let morality shape theology rather than theology shape morality. I think what we often see is a bishop will say that he knew a faithful, stable, same-sex couple and saw that the, the love that they had for each other. And so then he went back to the scriptures afresh to look at it. And, you know, this is basically what the Bishop of Oxford said. He, he basically said, I wanted to find gay marriage being approved in the Bible because I had gay friends um, and I wanted to be able to affirm their love. And he says, all my pastoral instincts told me that gay marriage was fine, even if my theological instincts told me otherwise. That's basically what the Bishop of Oxford said. And so I think that's often what's happened. I think there's a fear of man amongst the bishops who are afraid to be hated by the world you know, they've chosen friendship with the world, which is enmity against God. Um, they think that what they're going to do will be missional and will get people into the church. Um, they've heard lots of sad stories. And there are often, you know, of course, I don't think anyone would deny that there's not bad stories of, you know, people who are struggling with their sexuality or gender who go into a church and maybe not received well. You know, it has, hasn't been very pastoral. You know, I'm sure that happens with all kinds of issues you know churches are fallible um you know i'm sure ministers often get pastoral matters not quite right um but that's become the oh we need to apologize for all of these things and it's never it wasn't even quite clear so one aspect of the motion that was voted on was apologize for the harm to lgbtq plus people harm caused by the church and a lot of the liberals were upset by the motion because it said they're saying well why you're poly- what we're what we're upset about is not being able to marry, and you're not changing that, and so um, you're still harming us. And yet the bishops seem to tolerate a lot of these voices in their ears. Um, I think the proposals takes the bishops outside. I I think I think the bishops general in the past they, they crossed my red line, my personal red line about four years ago, five years ago, when they published guidance. Mark, 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 celebrating trans, transition, gender transitions services. So they said, here's some guidance on how you can celebrate people's transitions. And to me, that was a kind of red line that took them out of orthodoxy. So when I was welcomed into Synod, there was a communion service at Westminster um, Abbey, which I went, I attended, but refused communion at. Um, because I don't recognise the bishops and the archbishops. And I, I think now with these prayers, more churches need to be willing to just um, completely cut off their bishops. And that might come with legal and cost, you know, that might come with a cost. But there's, and it's easier for me to say that as a lay person where there's less direct personal cost to me. But ministers who are in place, who have jobs, who have homes, I think it, now's the, not the time to leave. I don't believe in leaving the Church of England, but now's the time to not recognise the bishops who I believe are, have led the church into error and who are um, 
you know, boring themselves with bar. Didn't Some we, of these... We, didn't we read that the, um, there was a move to do that for the Archbishop? Were we reading that? Uh, you read something, I think it was the um, internationally... Um, <coughs> Some of the bishops have, have voted to not recognise the Archbishop of yeah. Canterbury or something. Yeah. So the the Global South Fellowship of Anglicans recently published a a statement basically saying they no longer see the Archbishop of Canterbury as the first among equals in the Anglican Communion. Um, GAFCON, which is the Global African uh, Futures Conference, they're meeting actually in April in Rwanda. Um, uh, to and um, I guess there'll be an update about that then, but th they've also issued a statement condemning the what's happened and the and the vote and the motions and what the bishops are doing. And so what's happening is fracturing the Anglican, the worldwide Anglican Communion, but that's slightly different to what do faithful Anglicans in England now do who are actually under these bishops. Yeah. Some of these things that you're talking about, uh, and we're talking specifically here about the Church of England because this is, you know, the the ocean you swim in. But for people around the world uh, in America, there there are independent churches which are making similar decisions uh, to this. And and you said, you know, I don't think now is the time to leave. Um, just don't recognise your pastor or well, whatever. So the exact details of what it means i i think my 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 uncomfortability with i i don't have an issue of people leaving i think leaving may well be um right for people who can't minister in the church of england according to their conscience um and that may well be the right thing at this time um i there is a concern about if you leave your if you leave your church now do you open up your own church to be taken over by if you can't lead your whole congregation out do you open up your church to be taken over by a wolf and what responsibility does a minister have to protect their own sheep from his own successor so i think that's it that's a factor to consider i think um so i probably I haven't. I, I. I need more thought. Needs to go into what the plans would be, but something along the lines of rejecting the bishop, coming under an alternative bishop. So there are Anglican networks in England who aren't in the Church of England. Anglican churches. So there are various networks. So some people generally leave the Church of England to join one of those networks. I'd probably look at asking those bishops to oversee you. But whilst remaining in the Church of England, um, I don't particularly believe in negotiating with false teachers for some kind of settlement, which is a strategy that quite other evangelicals are trying to consider um, as well. Um, so in America, there's been a big split in the Anglican Church. So what's what the Episcopal Church is the is the is now quite liberal. Well, no, it's completely liberal. It's in decline. They've firmly embraced gay marriage and um the anglican church of north america are the faithful faithful orthodox anglicans and that's growing and they're being faithful and so that that split happened quite a while ago in the past um in the church of england it's um it's different as well maybe this is you know uh comfortable and we like the privilege but there is there is a difference between the fact that the church of england is the established church and so holding on to fight for as long as possible with integrity and without compromise i do think is 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 right and good but that that requires withdrawing any kind of affiliation or, or support from false teachers what would you say to people that that say well you know, you have these beliefs, but they are hateful towards these people. Um, show love, show compassion to them, be more accepting of them. What, what would you say to, to people that say that about the church? It's just a yes, hateful... Well, I had an email just like that yesterday. But um, um, I would say, is it loving to let people not know the truth? And is it loving to let people stay in their sin? 
So we're called to speak the truth in love with mercy. So, you know, in Jude, contending for the faith towards the end, it talks about us speaking and rebuking with mercy, and but also talks about snatching them from the fire. And so I think we need to call people away from their sin and call them to Christ. We want to offer people Jesus, and that's 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 where they can find true love. Um, I also think we need to redefine what we think love is, uh, or not redefine as in go back to true love, which we find in yeah, ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. But love isn't following my, all my feelings or all my desires, and love isn't um, allowing um, any kind of sexual practice to go on as it should. Um, there's a reality that you know it's unpopular to say it's that faithful, stable same-sex relationships are are sinful and ultimately are unloving because that's not what we're made for. We're not made for. We're made for something greater than that, which is communion with Christ, but also, and this isn't always going to be for everyone, but marriage between a man and a woman paints a much more beautiful picture of Christ and the church and also the complementarity, the, the ability for procreation. Actually, same-sex sexual relationships are, in one sense, unloving. I mean, Paul in Romans 1 describes them as shameful. Can I just take it back to a more personal level for you? Have you? What consequences have you had for yourself in taking a stand? I mean, there could be good ones or there could be some that are not so good. What, what, what has happened for you? so um we i so i mean my work's not the most popular work uh both inside and outside the church so yeah it's been a lot been quite costly losing friends particularly over being quite vocal about abortion that's been quite a challenge um lots of people increasingly have found you know, and as the culture shifted and there's increasing hostility, I found it's been harder to try and proclaim the truth in love. Um, even within the family, the wider family, you know, there's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's not universally welcomed the work that I'm doing and particularly amongst non-Christian members of the wider family. Um, so, yeah, that does come as a cost, but also with great blessing as well, uh, being able to meet with people who from all kinds across the church faithfully standing um you know seeing people who've come out of homosexual lifestyles or transgender lifestyles um who've been saved and redeemed by um christ has been a beautiful thing to see and is the kind of thing that not many people do see i mean within the church i've very supportive church friends and family um supportive not always um so i've i got into a bit of trouble a few years ago for um criticizing stuff going on in the church of england and um uh got a bit of media about that and but it was good to know that i had fake christians praying and supporting me um didn't have i haven't had loads of support from the bishops uh in the church of england um but yeah it, it's costly but it's worth it and it's, it's it's exciting knowing that there's a community in the church supporting praying for me um and encouraging me and particularly with our Wolverhampton academy as well seeing my my peers, my my friends, um, and those that have been on this since I've been working at Christian Concern, you know, that community really does support and pray and encourage one another. I think for um, people listening and watching, it, you know, you could get hung up on the, the issues which keep getting mentioned, but um, whatever your beliefs, um, wherever you come from, there are some underlying issues which impact all of us. So whether you talk about freedom of speech, um, the right to think for yourself is being taken away. You know, if you don't all believe the, the things which are put through society, through culture, uh, we all have to kind of think the same. But if you stray from that path, whatever it is that you're thinking differently in, you can get ostracized, you can get cancelled. Um, uh, you know, there, there are underlying issues which impact all of us if we have a different belief to society in general. Um, what would you say to people who, you know, they have a different belief? It may not be the same as yours, as ours, but they have a different belief and there's a price to be paid 
for thinking differently how, how, and, and even for people that do have sort of traditionally held biblical views how how have you personally been able to sort of stand strong in walking through that to to t- take care of yourself and and how can other people do that you know it becomes harder and harder to stand up for what you believe when maybe you feel like you're an island just standing all on your own you know um no that's a really um that's a really um helpful question well i guess it's knowing christ which makes it worth it you know, as I said earlier, Christian Concern, Wilberforce Academy, we're not about trying to be social conservatives, anti-woke. We're about proclaiming Christ. And so knowing that it's for Jesus means that it makes everything a lot easier. Um, knowing that he already has the victory. He's the one who overcomes. He's the one who conquers. Just gives gives us a lot of it, freedom because actually I, I, it's, it's not in, in one sense, it's not in our hands the results of what we do. God's sovereign, God overrules. We just need to be faithful and trust him in it. And that might be costly, but Jesus warns us about that. You know, he says he might turn father against son, but you know, brother against sister. Um that's you know, there's going to be a cost to faithfulness, a cost to discipleship. And it's knowing Christ first and foremost, which um means you're able to to do that and and to proceed through that. And so I guess for people who maybe hold views that are countercultural today, maybe more traditional views, but don't know Christ, um, then they need to turn to him and repent. You know, people who we're not saved by our social conservatism. We're not saved by our views on marriage. Um, you, you know, our, our, our persistent unrepentant behavior and teaching, false teaching uh, may well exclude us from the kingdom. Um, but if we don't know Christ, then there is lost as, um, those who are promoting all this stuff in society. And so I think we as Christians need to guard against a kind of a form of co-belligerence where we forget that we forget that, um, the anti-woke campaigner also needs to repent and turn to Christ. Um, and so knowing Christ is what, um, is what saves us and is what keeps me going certainly if i thought it was my responsibility to change the culture um uh completely uh then that's a burden far too big to bear you know it's christ who who's in control it's the spirit that works in people's hearts um if you put the responsibility upon yourself you're gonna you're gonna you'll be you'll be crushed so we we have that hope that he's victorious we have that hope for the future that um, you know, Christ has won the victory. He is victorious, and He will have the victory. I think some verses that I've seen recently, or I've really been thinking about recently, which has um, surprised me, um, is in Jesus's words to the church in Thyatira in Revelation two. He says, um, "To the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do I do not lay on you any other burden." Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Um, and so um, that's quite a um, um, you know quite an exciting uh, picture for the future for us. Is that um, somehow in the future you know we're, we're co-heirs with Christ. And one day when he returns and presents the kingdom to his father, we'll be co-heirs with him. Mm. A few times you've said things that remind me of previous podcasts we've done with people who have been persecuted for their faith and from persecuted nations. Um, Some of the phrases you said is, um, faithfulness is costly. We have one that we actually named the podcast, Faithfulness is Costly. Um, another one we said, he is worth it, Jesus is worth it. I think that was Andrew Branson, I think, who said that. Another one, the lion will see us through. And and it is encouraging and alarming that you are using the same phrases mm. that people who have been horrendously persecuted um, have used with us on podcasts. Mm. I mean, I see that two ways. I mean, 
it's encouraging because we, I don't think we are being persecuted yet. I think we're receiving opposition. I think that I don't know that I. I want think we're being marginalised. Marginalised, yeah. But I, I, I would not like to draw the same. Say we're being persecuted, having interviewed some of these other people. But if we're using the same language, the same concept, and the same thoughts, I would say, in what you're saying, for those who have gone before us, that you're on track. <laughs> If you see what I mean. And certainly, though, there are people in England that do hold these beliefs that have been arrested and, and put in prison. And maybe they haven't been there for a long time. But but we are heading in a direction which is concerning. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's why it's important that we're prepared. So it doesn't come as a surprise because I think many of us are quite comfortable. We're not aware that that opposition, that pers- you know, that persecution may come. Um, and, you know, we think... Oh, it's it's only those who are a bit more extreme, or those who are really vocal, who are the ones who are getting into trouble. But um, there's the reality is that we we never know what kind of circumstance we're going to be in. I mean, we were teaching, we've we've been supporting a teacher who's been they're trying to get him struck off as a teacher because um, he accidentally misgendered a student, a pupil, and so we never really know where we're going to where we're going to end up or when it could happen to you. Yeah, and it can be easy to say, oh, not in this country, uh, only out in Asia, in the Middle East, yeah. or something like that. But no, there's people in England, Canada, who are being put in prison for their beliefs. Um, and if you think, well, you might have to cross certain extreme lines to get arrested. Well, there was a, a lady recently in England who was standing outside an abortion clinic, but wasn't saying anything, just standing there in silence. Yeah. And she was arrested for thoughts that she had in her head. So if you can get arrested for just thinking things, then you don't really have to do much as a Christian to to then get arrested. Yeah. Uh, you wanting to say something else? Uh, have you finished? I was um, about I was about uh, to finish. Uh, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean have you finished. I mean to say something. I I would really like Ben if you would go back as we finish and read that scripture again because I think there's nothing like the Word of God um, and and read it again because I think that would be that is a great place that that we are looking. Beyond this earth, we have an eternal perspective, ruling over nations and ruling and reigning with Jesus is really um, what we're looking for. Um, So could you finish by reading that again? Yeah. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Ben, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. For people listening, go check out the links in the description mm-hmm. box. Uh, we, we really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. And thank I'm you so much for having people- me. People who are listening, remember you are not alone. You are not alone. There are others who are standing with you. And reach out. Reach out to Christian Concern. Reach out to the World Force Academy. Reach out to us if you feel that you're alone um, because we want to stand with you. Put some, put some comments in the box below and we'll be right there. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Remember, if it inspired you, share it with others so we can see more people engaged in this community.